We uh, do want to look to God's Word, and so uh, we have been doing a series during December of looking at some of the women of the Christmas story. Uh, kind of the, since Christmas is all about the birth of a child, it seems appropriate. We look at some of the, the women and, and try to see Christmas uh, through their eyes. We have considered first Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and she too had a miracle birth in her advanced years. And uh, we saw how God used this event in her life. And then we, we, we skipped ahead, if you will, in terms of the chronology to Anna after the birth of Christ. Again, an older woman, perhaps over 100 years old, who was there in the temple. And when she saw that Christ had come, and God put it in her heart that that was the significance of Jesus being there, she could not wait to tell others who were eagerly waiting for the coming of the long-expected Savior. Today, we're, it seemed appropriate on Christmas Eve to talk about Mary, who was right there uh, at Christmas Eve, as you'll recall. She was one of the uh, participants <laughs> in a very special way. So I'd like to look at Mary uh, in, in, in the accounts. There are a number of passages. It was interesting to me, just as I was getting ready for this and um, studying Mary, I, I kept being struck that it seems like everything about Mary is in the Gospel of Luke. Did a quick search and found that uh, the Gospels in order reflect the uh, abundance of Mary, the mentions of Mary. So Matthew has the least mention, Mark, uh, Luke, uh, and then John. And, but Luke gives, you know, he talks a lot about the women affected by the Gospel. John mentions Mary, not surprising. Remember, if you jump ahead to the cross when Jesus is dying, remember he says to Mary, um, this is your, to, and then points to John and said, this is your son. John, this is your mother. And so history tells us the apostle John did take Mary on and, and cared for her to the end of her life. And so John talks more about Mary than, than anyone. But Luke spends a lot of time talking about her. And so we're going to be in chapters 1 and 2. If you are familiar with these passages, they are long. We won't all read all of chapters 1 and 2, but we'll select out the passages that talk about Mary and, and, and look at this woman of great interest. Elizabeth was an older woman, wife of a priest, living in Judah. Anna, a widow of many years, uh, often, and just, she just basically, when the doors were open in the temple, she was there. Mary, a young teenager in, in, a, in a humble town, uh, in, a, in a humble part, in a, in a basically a very modest country. It was, a, it was occupied land. It was under Roman oppression. And yet here this young teenager has much to show us by her example. Starting in chapter Luke, verse 1 to 26, we, we see uh, how the baby is announced. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary there in Nazareth. Luke 1, 26 to 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. 
Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month by her, for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, what can we learn about Mary and from her? First of all, we're told that she was a virgin, a young woman of moral purity. And so one thing we see is she was going to be used of the Lord, that she was a woman who was faithful in her walk with the Lord, and it reflected in her moral behavior. Also, that was essential, because Isaiah had said 700 years before that when Messiah came, he would be born of a virgin. And so Mary qualifies for that, but shows she was a young woman, unmarried woman, of morally pure woman. Now, if we could look kind of what was said about her, if I may, I, I think of it passively. In other words, it's not what she does, but what was done for her and to her. She's called highly favored. Uh, when, when, G, when the angel greets her, the first thing he says is, Rejoice, highly favored one. Um, what that means is she has been literally... A, the word for favor is the word comes from the word grace. And so highly graced one, emphasizing that she has um, received grace. So she is a recipient of God's grace. So she's not being told, you know, you hear the expression sometimes, hail Mary, full of grace. You know, the hail Mary that we think of is it comes from this passage. Uh, and the first part of it is just quoting. Uh, often, if you've heard of Ave Maria, that's in Latin. So in the Latin text, it uses the expression, Hail Mary, full of grace. And that can be taken different ways, and that's the problem. It's, it's taken by many to mean full of grace so that she can give grace to others. But that's, not what this, that's certainly not what the original text means. The original text is someone who has been fully graced, someone who has been richly graced, Someone who God has poured his grace upon her life. And so she is a recipient of grace, not a, not a giver of grace. She needed grace. And he's been telling her, and she has received it. But one thing is interesting. He says, not you will receive grace. You have been graced. You've been graced. And then he goes on to say, and the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And again, not... You know, we sang, we heard in the song earlier, we are waiting, we are waiting. He's telling her things that are already true. God has poured his grace on you, and the Lord is with you. Now, you might remember the, uh, one of the key names of Christmas season is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Hebrew phrase, comes from Isaiah, again, the same passage I mentioned earlier, 
where it says this child will be called Emmanuel. That means God with us. God with us. And so she is telling, the angel tells Mary, God is already with you. That's one of the great hopes and promises of Scripture. One of our favorite passages of Scripture we often look to is Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm. Remember how in describing God's blessings, especially, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God with me gives me strength and courage in the darkest of time, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. As I thought about this passage, you might remember in, when, when there, Moses is dealing with God and dealing with the people of Israel. And the people of Israel had greatly sinned and were constantly rebelling and complaining. Uh, one of my favorite complaints is, you know, they say, oh, that we were back in Egypt where there, were, there was plenty of garlic and onions to eat. In other words, they're saying, oh, that we were back as, as slaves rather than being free with God here in the wilderness. God says, you know, they've sinned so much, I have to remove my presence. And Moses says, um, to loosely paraphrase, no way, Jose. (laughs) We can't do this. I I cannot. If you're not going to go with us, we can't go. We need God with us. We cannot go through this wilderness and on into the promised land unless you are with us. We need you. God with us. God with us means he, he's, he's, he's present to guide, to protect, to nurture, to counsel. And Mary is told, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. That's a major part of her That first statement, Mary, you've been greatly graced. How? The Lord is with you. She's going to need that. Because in the coming months, and as she's telling people that that her pregnancy is this miracle, um, people are going to find, she's going to find more and more people pulling away from her, more and more isolated. It's amazing, isn't it, that sometimes holidays can be a time of great loneliness. Maybe even in a crowded room, we might feel profoundly lonely. But the Lord, anticipating all that's ahead for her, his word of assurance is, God is with you. The Lord is with you. And so as as Mary is about to launch into an adventure, a challenging prospect, the great hope and encouragement she has is, The Lord is with you. And it's not a Bible verse, but you've probably heard the saying, God plus one makes a majority. And so he's saying, you will not be alone. You've been greatly graced. I read the account of two missionaries who were captured and imprisoned in the same cell because of their preaching Christ. And they were even forbidden to speak to each other. One of the missionaries, it was cold. He was sitting there silent on a floor that had some hay strewn on it. And as he was just playing with the bits of hay, he thought he discovered a silent way of communicating 
with the other missionary that was also a prisoner in the cell and started taking the hay and with it he used he'd used the hay to write out the word Emmanuel God with us as his friends saw the word he immediately lit up with joy they were captives but they were children of God through faith in Jesus Christ and so they were not alone yes Oppressed, hated, imprisoned, isolated, silenced, yet God is with you. And so that message written in hay, and how appropriate at Christmas to think the message of Emmanuel, uh, the message of Christmas ties in with hay, laying in the hay of the manger. Notice he goes on to say to her, blessed are you among women. Among women in particular. The whole issue of you're going to have a child uh, that's a women issue. And it, it's been said that over the centuries, uh, every, so many Jewish young women, their prayer and hope would be, could I be the mother of the Messiah? Would, would I have that privilege? Who will it be? And I imagine most of the women would say, not me. Like someone like Mary in Nazareth would say, if they were to ask her, who do you think, if Messiah is going to be born this year, who do you think will be the mother? And her mind would have raced over to uh, Jerusalem, the capital, the place of the temple, surely one of the, the, the grand families of Jerusalem. But he says, no, you are going to be blessed among women. See, the Messiah has a lot to do with women, all the way back to the very first scripture promise of the gospel is in the first book of the Bible. And the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 3 God makes a promise that a, a seed born to a woman, and it's interesting he says that, not a woman and a man, but a seed born to a woman will crush and defeat Satan. Women are important to the story. And so this woman is told that she has been greatly blessed among women. And he goes on to say in verse 30, you found favor with God. And that, that word, Favor is again the word grace. It's not something she did. The word grace, by definition, is means you don't deserve it. Uh, if you if you earn it, that's not a gift. That's a wage. If you deserve it, it's a reward, not a gift. But he says you have been. You have found grace with God. Mary, you can search your heart and life and soul and you will find no reason to say, I deserve this. It's a gift. You've been, you've been greatly gifted by God. Now, verse 38, I see what she starts doing. Notice also, up to, my point is, up to this point, the angel's just telling her, this has been done for you. This has been done. You've been graced. God is with you. you you've been, uh, you're greatly received a great gift of grace. You're blessed. But now, starting verse 38, we see what she does actively. It says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. So she responds to the angel Gabriel. And her words are, here I am, whatever you wish to do with me. First of all, notice how she describes herself. 
your maidservant. Actually, that word maidservant there, that's a kind way of saying, but literally the word is your slave. Um, a woman's slave, a maidservant, in that you could say, was basically at the bottom of the social ladder. And she was a, a, a woman's slave in, again, a small town, in a nothing village. I imagine most people in, in Israel would have a hard time finding where Nazareth was. Remember when one of the uh, disciples is told about Jesus, the first thing he says is, Jesus of Nazareth. And with mocking in his voice says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Nazareth? And so she is, here she is, a, a slave of the Lord. And she says, here I am, a slave. I think it would horrify her to see how people want today to worship her. And she's given titles by some as, as queen of heaven, co-redeemer with Jesus. Uh, she would turn pale and be horrified at the thought, I am simply a blessed servant. It's all of grace. And then, but that phrase, let it be to me according to your word. She's submissive. She yields herself to the Lord. Here I am. Use me any way you choose. She's believing the message. You are about to have a miracle birth and you're going to have a child without a husband. Every great calling has its burdens with it. You know, some people say, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be president of the United States? My thought is, not on your life. <laughs> and I see some of the problems they have to deal with. Oh, what a burden. What a responsibility. Hers is greater. Not only will she carry and in the, the, the Messiah for nine months, and deal with all the accusations, the mockery, the sneering, the isolation, the abandonment, the questions. And then it falls to her to raise and nurture the Messiah. I think in many times any parent takes on the responsibility of raising a child and feels, who could be adequate for this? This is, this is an eternal soul. This is a life. How do I handle the responsibility of guiding, directing, protecting uh, this child? Imagine being responsible for raising a future king. Imagine being responsible for raising the Messiah who is your Savior. So with all the cost, with all the challenges, yet she says, here I am. Here I am. Let it be to me according to your word. No questions, no challenges, no doubts, no, no bargaining. Well, if you're going to do this, can I at least have this? But rather she yields herself. And again, another passage comes to mind. Uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, seems so well to describe Mary. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we read, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And the sacrifices were meant to be slaughtered and set on the altar. A living sacrifice means you're giving your whole self, your whole life, but you're not dying. You are living in service. So believers are told to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
Do not be conformed to this world. Remember, she was a young, morally pure woman. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Mary is yielding herself, giving herself. Here here, here is my life. Take it. Use it. Wherever you want to go with it. What a picture Mary is for us. What a model for us. So often when we think of heroes, we think of someone more advanced in years. And again, if, if I were to say, you know, think of, think of a hero. Think of a model to follow. Most of your, your minds wouldn't go to a young teenager. And yet, she's a model to follow, a hero to, to, to honor. Look at her response to the Lord's word and will. How do we respond to God's revealed will in the Bible? Do we ignore it? Do we make excuses? Do we complain, oh, that's too hard for me? It's going to cost too much? No one else is doing that? Or do we live Romans 12, 1? Here I am, a living sacrifice. I'm not going to die for you. I'm going to live for you as you will, as you desire. Are our lives worshipful obedience? And so this, this young gal, this young woman, is an example of, of godly surrender to the Lord. Well, let's look to the next passage that's in my mind. It's, it's in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. The angel Gabriel had told her, you, there's another miracle birth, that, and this might help you. Your cousin is already six months along, even though she was beyond childbearing years and, and had lived a life and was called barren. She's now with child. And so Mary could go and see another miracle birth and be mentored by a godly woman. When she walked in, remember, Elizabeth cried out and honored her and, and extolled her. She said, Blessed are you among women. How is it that I can be so honored that the mother of my Lord has come to me? But here's Mary's response, starting at verse 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So as Mary responds to how the Holy Spirit guided Elizabeth, Elizabeth confirmed the message, and Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. Have you heard the expression, goat? It took me a long time to, to figure that one out. Why would someone want to be called a goat? <laughs> we live in a kind of a rural area. And I don't mean to be critical, but goats leave a lot to be desired. Can I be kind? That's as kind as I can get. Uh, goats have attitude. There is an atmospheric influence of a goat's presence. And so I kept thinking, why would someone want to be called a goat? Because 
It took me a while to figure out it means greatest of all time. And so you'll see athletes that'll actually, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm the goat. What's Mary's response when she's told, guess what? You're going to bring the Messiah into the world. I imagine a lot of people would say, I'm goat. But what's her response? My soul magnifies the Lord. He is the great one of all time. My soul exalts, magnifies the Lord. What's her response when Mary, what does Mary say? She commends her for her faith and she even says, who am I to have you in my home? The mother of the Messiah, the mother of my Lord. And Mary's first response is, she worships the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. See, that's, that's so important in seeing who this Mary is. Mary's eyes aren't on herself. Look at me. Her focus is on the Lord. And instead of saying, here I am, mother of Messiah, be nice to me. She's saying, isn't God great to us? He sent the Messiah. I, I, I'm just... I'm just, a, I'm just a maidservant. See how she says that in verse 48. He's regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. Lowly is his, the humility. The lowliness of his slave. God has seen fit to use his slave. And one of the things about slaves is they rarely get credit or honor or even thanks. Jesus one time talked to the disciples about servanthood and said, well, think about the slave owner who brings his slave in from the field. Does he say, oh, now, oh, you've had a hard day of work. Why don't you sit down? I'll make you dinner. What does he, what does he do? He says, I'm going to sit down. You make me dinner. And after I've eaten, you can eat. You're a slave. And what does Mary say? Don't, don't worship me. Worship the God of grace. He's, he's looked and he's seen me in my lowly slave state. And yet, behold, she said, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. But again, blessed is passive. She's not the one who's doing it. She is a, a vessel of glory. If I can kind of give an example of that, you go to a, 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 an art museum and you see the great masters. Um, and if you know me, you know that's not my strength. Um, I can do an art museum in 30 minutes. Um, it doesn't, and, and, you know, and, and I know there are people that could spend 30 days in front of one portrait. And that, that's not my strength and that's my weakness. I should appreciate these things more, but... You know, can you imagine if someone, maybe it'd be someone like me that walk in and spend all the, and walk out and say, I've never seen more beautiful frames. Who can gild the gold on those things and the carving? Can you imagine? They'd probably ban me from all art museums for the rest of my life. Mary's saying, I'm the frame. I'm just a frame. It's not about me. And if you're looking at me, you're missing the picture. You're missing the point. Magnify and worship the Lord. I'm just a servant. 
And, and, and then she magnifies the Lord for what? Verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. What she's saying, dear Mary is recognizing God is keeping his promises. God is so gracious and good when, when in Abraham, 2,000 years, 2,000 years before Mary, God told Abraham, I'm calling you and through you, all the nations will be blessed. You are my channel to bless the nations. And you are, and I will, and I will raise up your family. And this was again to an old man with no children. You're going to have descendants beyond number. You're going to be a father of a nation. We call it Israel. And through you and through your people, the world will be blessed. Part of that, of course, the, big, the central part is the Messiah. And so what Mary says is, look at this. God is keeping his promise. She sees herself as this is where God does what he said he would do. 2,000 years ago. Do you ever have someone make a promise and, and, and after maybe a week or two you think they're not going to keep it? 2,000 years. Years of prosperity, years of slavery, bondage. In there, hundreds of years as slaves in Egypt, 70 years as slaves in Babylon. And yet God in his mercy keeps his promises. So, again, we can learn from Mary. Mary's eyes are on the Lord. She sees her circumstances in light of God's word. She delights that God's keeping his promises to, to her, his people, going all the way back to Abraham. She's an example to us because she focuses on the Lord, magnify the Lord, and she, she looks at her life through the lens of Scripture. God is keeping his word. What an example and a model for us. Again, this, this young teenager, in the marketplace, we'd walk right past her. But her, her, her faith wants to focus on the Lord, and she reads her circumstances through the lens of Scripture. God is fulfilling his promises. What a challenge to us. Do we see our circumstances in light of God's word? Or do our circumstances blind us to who God is and to what his word says? She saw in her circumstances the faithfulness of God to his promises. That's what the message was all about to her. Apparently some years back, a psychology press, uh, professor at a major university decided to, to do a test on his students. He had 40 students in a class. And so, uh, you, know, the, you know, typical of a professor is going to make them guinea pigs. So he instructed them to write down the word Christmas on a piece of paper. And they all did so. And then he said, now, right after the word Christmas, write the first thought that flashes into your mind. He was eager to see what he got back. As he looked over, he saw things like tree, holly, mistletoe, presents, turkey, holiday, carols, and Santa Claus. Of the 40 students, 
Not one said the birthday of Jesus. And don't we find that's true in Christmas time? It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness, the responsibilities. I've got to prepare a meal. I've got to buy presents. I've got to get this out. I've got to get this done. Instead of saying, this is all about Jesus. My soul magnifies the Lord. He's done great things. Well, just going down to the next passage I want to look at is in chapter 2. That's chapter 2, 1 to 20, is the birth narrative. If ever you're called upon, would you read the birth narrative, Luke 2, 1 to 20? That's the standard. I know that because that's what the Peanuts commercial or cartoon tells us. Have you seen that thing where they're putting on a Christmas play and and everybody gets all worked up and finally says, wait a minute, we've, we've lost the meaning of Christmas. And isn't it Linus that comes out onto the stage and he quotes Luke 2, 1 to 20. So, no higher authority, right, than Linus. <laughs> if I can read some of those verses, 4 to 19. Joseph, Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. It's sad in the news today to me to read in recent days that Bethlehem, of course, is the place of birth of Jesus. And uh, every year there's Christmas activities in Bethlehem, special service at the Church of the Nativity. Um, it's a big deal. I spent a Christmas Eve there one time. This year there's nothing because of the war that's going on in, in, in Israel. So the Prince of Peace, hometown, if you will, has no peace. He went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You could almost quote these words, couldn't you? Now they were in the field uh, in the same country, shepherds. Remember, we've even sung about that. The shepherds in their, their flocks by night. The angel appears to them in verse 10. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Today there is born for you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly the great multitude surrounding them saying, Glory to God in the highest. We're going to sing that one tonight. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Wow, that was cool. No, no. Instead of saying, no one's ever going to believe us. I'm, from the rest of my life, I'm going to tell people I was there. No. Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. Notice they believe him. They believe the angels. So let's go see. They came in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. A feeding trough is what that means. And they, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. First of all, let me just notice about Mary. She was, uh, be, she was, they went there as Joseph's betrothed wife. Betrothal, we think of as like engagement. But engagements aren't necessarily fully binding like a marriage in our society. I still remember in seminary, once in a while you'd see a, a, a note on the, on the student bulletin board, uh, engagement ring, size this, only worn three weeks, good price. 
And I would see things like that and say, there's a story there. <laughs> Do I see any tear stains on the note? Um, for us, engagement, that's a time where you, you're, we're, we're going to get married unless we see something that tells us we shouldn't go forward. Betrothal, you had a ceremony. You were legally regarded as married. You, it, to break a betrothal required a legal divorce. So she was his betrothed wife before they were married. He, mar- he went ahead and had a marriage ceremony um, because no, otherwise they would not be allowed to travel alone all the way to Bethlehem. However, we're told that she was also instructed, that they were also told she is to continue to be a virgin until after the birth of their child. She was his betrothed wife. Then we're told in verse 16, they found Mary and Joseph, the babe, and, and, they, and the shepherds told everybody. Can you imagine? Okay, first of all, they were told, find the, the one baby in Bethlehem that's lying in a feeding trough. Normally, we don't, that's not what we do with babies, right? People go out and spend more than they would on a car for a, a crib the child will never recognize. <laughs> um, are, but go find the baby that's in a feeding trough. And they found him. And they were so, you would not believe the angels announced all these things, and people were so excited and wondered, say that again, what was it? Did he say that? Did you hear that? Notice Mary's response. It says she treasured up in her heart all the things she heard. Have you ever told somebody something that happened to you, and before you can finish it, you can tell they're just waiting to tell you what happened to them? Oh, that happened to me one time, and, and mine's better. Um, Mary could have really outdone them. Hey, he came to talk to me personally, laid out the whole plan, sent me down to see Elizabeth. Oh, my cousin also. But none of it. It says she just treasured it up in her heart. Several Proverbs came to mind. Proverbs 29, 11, a wise man, uh, of, well, verse, the whole verse, a, ver, a fool vents all his feelings. A wise man holds them back. Proverbs 12, 23, a wise man conceals knowledge, but the heart of the fool proclaims foolishness. Proverbs 14, 33, wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding, but what's in the heart of fools is made known. See the difference? One treasures up the wisdom, the other blabbers his folly. Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words is sin, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, 27 to 28. He who has knowledge spares his words, and the man of understanding is of a calm spirit. There's a proverb that's not in the Bible, but probably could be. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that, but, you know, better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. But the Proverbs, again, in a sense, again, talk about how the wise man isn't always spewing his wisdom. It's been said that uh, a, a wise man knows more than he says and a fool says more than he knows. Mary was a young woman and yet profoundly mature and insightful. And in all of this, she's not, again, it wasn't about her. Let me tell you my story. She saw this as all about Jesus, all about the Lord and his grace, and his mercy, and his promises kept. And so as she heard these things, I wonder if the tears were just rolling down her cheeks to think of God's grace and mercy. 
for how long have your people cried, send the Messiah? And he's here. Mary was a servant of the Lord. And all she could do is says, here's my heart and here I am. Use me as you will. I'll bear the child. I'll raise this child. And it will be my pleasure to bear the burdens. And so she saw a miracle of Christmas, not about Mary, but about the baby, about Jesus. She was a servant, a slave, serving a mighty God with a grand purpose. She was greatly blessed. She was graced to bear and nurture the Messiah. Hail Mary, greatly blessed. But Jesus says there is a greater blessing. A greater blessing. Again, Luke chapter, chapter 11 in this case. We read this. Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. A greater bless, bless, be more blessed than Mary? Jesus was speaking to a group, teaching. It happened in Luke eleven twenty-seven 27 and 28. It happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is, is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nurtured you. She's thinking as a proud mother, imagine the mother that, that raised you. Verse 28, Jesus said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Mary, uh, some people overemphasize Mary. Mary would be heartbroken to see that. But notice what Jesus says. You know what's more important than giving birth to and raising the Messiah? More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What a reminder to us at Christmas how easy it is to get distracted. The message is about a Savior born. The message is about a Savior needed. Jesus came. What did, what did the shepherds hear and what did they tell that they heard? A Savior is born to them. And, and the angel told Matthew, he's going to forgive. He's gonna, you're going to name him Jesus because he'll forgive their people, your, his, your people his, their sins. The, the message of Christmas ultimately is about Jesus coming not to be born, but to die, to pay the penalty of our sin, for he was sinless, not his own. He died for our sin, and he calls across the generations that we are to trust in him as Savior, turn from our sin to the Savior, and receive the gift of eternal life. If that's the case, then you could be more blessed than the mother of Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are those, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Keep it by believing it, taking it to heart, trusting and following the Savior. And so with the songs of the season, with the thrill of the season, may the purpose of, of his coming be foremost in our mind. A Savior is given to you. 
Christ the Lord. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for a season to to honor him and to, to celebrate your grace in sending him. And Father, may, may we learn from the example of Mary to focus on him and your grace rather than ourselves. Oh, Father, many of us have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. May you open hearts and eyes even now to receive the gift of salvation. I pray in Jesus' name.